I am really, really happy to be with you this morning. And Catherine, if the Lord wills, will be with the congregation gathered at 11 o'clock. We are so thankful to be here with you, so thankful uh, to the session and to David for the gracious invitation to be with you today. We had a wonderful time on the men's retreat uh, Friday night through Saturday morning. And um, Catherine and I want you to know how much we love you. Uh, We have uh, such continuing affection for you in this congregation, this church family. And we think of you often, and we pray for you often. And another thing that I'm thankful for, very thankful for, is for all of you whom I don't know. And you don't know me? (laughs) And that's the evidence and fruit of God's continuing work in the life of Rivermont EPC. And that thrills my soul as well. So thank you again for the opportunity to be with you this morning. Let us ask the Lord to bless the reading and hearing of his word. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in his name, we pray the blessing of the Holy Spirit upon us afresh to open our minds spiritually, to enlighten our eyes spiritually, to unstop deaf ears, to soften hardened hearts. Speak your word, O Lord, and grant us Ears to hear, minds to understand, souls to receive, and hearts to believe and to obey your holy word. Through Christ our Savior. Amen. Let us hear the word of God, Psalm 13. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me. O Lord my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And now to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, dominion, and power forever and ever. Amen. 
On the men's retreat, we focused on the theme of face-to-face, face-to-face with the Lord, face-to-face together in the presence of the Lord in prayer. We looked at the Lord's Prayer as a guide to prayer, and we also did a prayer workshop, if you will, on Psalm 23, learning to pray the Psalms. And one of the ways, I believe, that we can grow stronger in the life of prayer, real prayer in accordance with the Word of God, is to pray the Psalms. That is to read the Psalms prayerfully, slowly, meditatively, reflectively, letting the Psalms speak for us. Letting the Psalms be our personal prayers. Now this spiritual discipline of praying the Psalms takes time. It takes stillness and quietness. You can't do it on the run or in a hurry. And I dare say that most of us in our prayer life these days, very busy days, full of all kinds of distractions, we need to slow down. We need to get free from those distractions and need to get still and quiet before the triune God and enter into that deeper personal communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in accordance with Holy Scripture. And I know that I need to do that. As I shared on the retreat, I'm, 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 I'm trying to grow in that area. And praying the Psalms can help us to do that. The book of Psalms is the prayer book of the Bible. It contains prayers written by men but inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that's important because it means that the Psalms teach us how to pray in accordance with God's Word. The Psalms serve as guides to prayer and help us learn how to pour out our hearts and souls to God in times of trouble as well as in times of joy. The Psalms also make perfectly clear that the life of the true believer inevitably involves difficulty, conflict, sadness, sorrow, trouble, danger. The, the Psalms show us that for the true believer, life is difficult. Indeed, life is a fight. There are external enemies. There are real people in this world who hate God and hate His people. And then there is our own sinful nature, which remains within us, inclining us to disbelieve and disobey God's Word. And there is the enemy of Satan and his minions, tempting us to sin, pestering us with worldly distractions, accusing our consciences, Mocking us for our feeble faith. So read the Psalms. And you will see that not all of them are beautiful words of comfort, as in Psalm 23. And not all of them are songs of praise, such as Psalm 100. 
There are many psalms which are expressions of agony and doubt and fear and faith in the midst of spiritual warfare. Psalm 13 is a good example. How many of us in one way or another at one time or another have felt like crying out with the words of Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And even if we did not say those words, we may have felt them and felt forgotten. And so God has given us Psalm 13 so that we can know and be assured that it's okay for us to cry out to God in that way. Now, this is, this is one of those prayers, a lament or a complaint, which at first we might be hesitant to pray. After all, we might think that it sounds irreverent, borderline blasphemous, It might seem wrong to pray this prayer because, after all, we know in our heads, we know that God does not and will not forget us. That's what the Bible says. So why would we bring a complaint like this to God? It it would seem to be invalid from the start. And worse, since God has said in His Word that He will never leave us nor forsake us, then it seems as though we are accusing God of breaking His Word. Should we really cry out to the Lord, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? It's pretty bold stuff. It pushes the envelope of personal piety pretty far. And we might say that it, we might say that it doesn't really express true faith very well. We, we could criticize this prayer by saying that anyone who prays like that obviously does not have real faith. Obviously does not know the promises of scripture obviously does not have a very mature relationship with God. We could say those things. But if we did, we would be speaking like the counselors of Job, who had all their theological ducks lined up in a row and had a right answer for every question but who had obviously had never really dealt with the reality of suffering in this fallen world. So let's accept Psalm 13 for what it is, the Word of God for the people of God, so that you and I have words to speak to God in times of trouble and suffering. Psalm 13 is a gift of God given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Creator who made you knows you better than you know yourself. Before a word is on your tongue, 
The Lord knows it all together. He knows what you think. He knows how you feel. And God knows that in your heart, from your perspective, when it seems your world is crashing down all around you, when you have suffered for a long time, when you have prayed for a long time but have not received the answer that you want, when, when one trouble piles up upon another, God knows that you wonder if He has forgotten you. David, a man of faith, felt that way. God used David as an instrument of the Holy Spirit to write this inspired psalm so that you and I might be assured we too can approach God with this cry of lament. Now, we don't know the historical context of this psalm or the personal circumstances David was in when he wrote it. And Was it during King Saul's hostile pursuit? Was it during Absalom's rebellion? Was it during another time of conflict? We don't know, and that's a good thing. Because it allows us to apply this psalm to our lives in our various times of trouble and sorrow and suffering and fear. And most of us, most of us, if we live long enough, and I've gotten to that point of living long enough, (laughs) I'm there. Believe me, I'm there. I've lived long enough. Most of us, if we live long enough at some time or in some season, will feel so overwhelmed by adversity or grief, we will simply want to fall face down, pound the ground with our fist, and cry out, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And Psalm 13 gives us permission to do that. And let me add, we can pray this prayer not only exclusively for ourselves in our own personal trouble, but also with our hearts crying out to God for others. In other words, it's a way of entering in uh, the, the suffering and the sorrow of our fellow brothers and sisters and then expansively connecting with the sorrow and suffering in this world. So we can, we can enter into this psalm of lament as the priesthood of believers on behalf of others, on behalf of the world, for our nation in all of its tumult, praying that God would not cast us off. Praying for our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. Praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ this morning in Ukraine and, and in Russia as well. We, we can and should pray these prayers of lament expansively. This is a way that we connect with the church, the suffering church of Jesus Christ throughout the world. As we long for the coming of God's kingdom in all its fullness. But in our personal pilgrimage through this world to the next, there's no way to avoid all pain and heartache and trouble and adversity and sorrow and, 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 and grief. And, and this is the big lie, of course, of, um, of American culture, that, that life is, we ought to expect life always to be good and happy and upbeat and we have everything I want, we want and we have all the entertainment that we could desire. And when something goes wrong, well, then there must be something wrong with the management. Oh, no. No, no. The Bible reveals to us that we live in a fallen world, a corrupted creation, a creation in bondage to decay and subject to the power of death. And according, in accordance with God's original very good creation, things are not the way they are supposed to be. 
But of course, we believe that God is still God, that God is still sovereign over all things, that God is sovereign over all the things that bring pain and sorrow and suffering into our lives. We affirm that God has not lost control over this world. God is not powerless in the face of suffering. But at the same time, we acknowledge the reality that we don't live in the Garden of Eden. We do live in a world corrupted by sin and filled with suffering and sadness and overpowered by death because we do not yet live in the perfection of the new creation and that everlasting kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in which death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. And until that day, while we live in this fallen world, it is inevitable that we will experience adversity and sorrow and sadness. And Jesus himself said to his disciples, in the world you will have tribulation. The Apostle Paul encouraged the early Christians saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And and by the way, he said that just after he had been stoned nearly to death. So from both the Old Testament and the New Testament, We learn that God's faithful people suffer hardship, adversity, persecution, loss, and grief in this world. And the Apostle Paul was quite transparent with his feelings when he wrote to the Corinthians. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Think of that. Even the Apostle Paul and his missionary companions at one point were so utterly burdened beyond their strength that they despaired of life itself. Now, that sounds as though perhaps the Apostle Paul himself might have cried out with a prayer quoting Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? In our own day, in our own way, we may have those moments when Psalm 13 speaks for us from the depths of our souls. Whenever there is prolonged suffering or hardship, it might be chronic illness or chronic physical pain or caring for a loved one with chronic illness. Caring for a loved one who suffers physically or who suffers mentally. It might, it might be that continuing problem that just won't go away and for whatever reason you just can't get it resolved. It might be a series of circumstantial hardships, trouble upon trouble, troubling your life. It might be an injustice, a wrong done to you by a malicious person which has continuing negative consequences in your life. It might arise from those old tapes from long, long ago of hurts and regrets and failures and woulda and coulda and shoulda that just keep on playing and playing in your mind. And in any of those cases, we might cry out, why do I have to keep dealing with this? Why do I have to keep going through this? Why doesn't God deliver me from this? Well, that's exactly what verse 2 says. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? 
At this point, the psalm has really taken us down almost to the breaking point, almost to the point of despairing of life itself. Now, David, David at this point feels that his enemy is exalted over him, triumphing over him, defeating him, scoffing at him, putting him to shame. David, David was taking a beating, and I think that in this case, it was primarily some sort of internal and emotional, psychological, spiritual struggle, which was caused by external adversaries. But he was really going down. It wasn't only that there were men out there who were trying to kill him, because, look, David was pretty good in a fight. He knew how to handle a sword. But something else was going on. There was a fight in his mind, a struggle in his soul, which he was afraid that he was losing and that he was going to lose. Whatever our battles, whatever our enemies, our adversities, you see, the real enemy, the real adversary is the devil himself who will uh, will tempt us. Uh, He will tempt us to abandon hope. Give up our faith in God. Sink in defeat and despair. That's where Psalm 13 touches bottom at the bottom of our souls, at the bottom of our lives. But Psalm 13 does not let us abandon hope does not let us give up to sink into ultimate despair. Psalm 13 teaches us to pray, not only expressing our feelings, but also affirming our faith. As do so many psalms, Psalm 13 moves from fear to faith, and Psalm 13 moves us from fear to faith. After those crying questions, David then, as our example and teacher, begins to pray in faith. Verse 4, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Now, now David is not simply crying out to God, expressing his pain and fears. At this point, he is calling upon God to act. This in itself is an expression of faith in God. God is honored by our expressions of faith in Him. God is honored by our prayers when in faith we call upon Him to act in accordance with His Word. In these verses, David acknowledges and affirms that God has the power to give him new strength to light up his eyes. What a wonderful image to give new light to his eyes, new life to his soul and rescue him. So Psalm 13 gives us a prayer to pray in times of darkness and depression, but it does not let us stay stuck in self-pity and despair. That's important. That's where the psalm turns. Psalm 13 moves forward, and Psalm 13 moves us forward. Psalm 13 looks upward 
And Psalm 13 causes us to look upward. It gives us the words to pray for spiritual light in times of spiritual darkness. Despair begins to turn to hope. Fear begins to be transformed into faith. David calls upon God for protection and deliverance, and then he begins to climb up out of the valley of the shadow and to walk in the light of life. And then Psalm 13 concludes with a wonderful affirmation of faith. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. Now that's quite a transition, isn't it? From verses 1 to two, one and 2 to verses 5 and 6. The prayer that began with a cry of despair concludes with an affirmation of faith. Now that's really good therapy. That's really good mental health therapy. That's really good spiritual health therapy. You see how it works? It begins with an honest, transparent, gut-wrenching expression of feelings unashamedly spoken to the Lord. That's being honest with yourself, honest with God. But you don't get stuck there. The next thing is to call upon God for your help, cast all your anxiety upon Him, and in the recognition of your own weakness and helplessness, ask God for His power to be at work in your life. So at that point, you are no longer focused on your problem. You become focused on God's power. And then thirdly, focused on God's power and faithfulness and goodness, your faith is renewed, your spirit is refreshed, your heart is encouraged, you have new light in your eyes by which you may, with faith, look up to the heavens and express your affirmation of faith and hope. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now that's how we move from despair to hope, from fear to faith. But there's something else that we need to consider, most importantly. How can we be sure that that, that this that this is a prayer that God will receive from us. Well, let me ask you this. Who was it? Who was it? Of all the men who ever lived, who descended into the depths of utter sorrow. Who was it? Of all the men who ever walked the earth, who really, really had the experience of being forsaken by God. Who was it of all the men who ever lived upon the earth who went down to death with his foes rejoicing over him because they prevailed over him. You know who that was. 
You see, when the eternal Son of God took upon Himself our human nature and came into this world in human flesh and blood, He, he united Himself with us in all of our weakness, all of our suffering, all of our pain, all of our grief. The Catechism says that when Adam and Eve sinned against God, they plunged themselves and all posterity, us, into that estate in which we've lost communion with God and we are liable to all the miseries of this life and even the eternal torments of hell. Jesus, the Son of God, plunged himself into the deepest depths of that reality in his identity with us for our salvation. And for that reason, he was, as Isaiah prophesied, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was a man of our sorrows. He was a man of our grief. When he suffered on the cross, he suffered, as it were, all of the pain and the shame and the loss and the grief and the sorrow that has been caused and felt in this world because of sin. He took upon himself this creation, this old creation, in bondage to corruption. As he bore the wrath of God. In our place. And there's no sorrow or grief that you've ever felt that he himself did not carry in his own heart. Brothers and sisters, what I want you to know is that Psalm 13 is a psalm of the suffering Savior. Psalm 13 is a prayer of Jesus. In Psalm 13, through the pen of David by the Holy Spirit, we hear the voice of the eternal Son of God. We hear the voice of Jesus Christ speaking prophetically about His own suffering in this world, His crucifixion and His resurrection. He has been there for you and for me. He has been through it. He has plunged Himself into your darkness. He has walked through your valley of the shadow. He has faced and fought your enemy, the devil, and he has won that war for you. He was forsaken as he died on the cross, and because he was forsaken, those who trust in him will never be forsaken. Believe. Come to Jesus Christ anew and believe. Come to Jesus Christ in your suffering, in your sorrow, in your prolonged grief. Come to Jesus Christ anew. Because no matter what you're going through or will ever go through in this world, Jesus Christ has gone ahead of you into that darkness and has overcome it for you. As one spiritual counselor of the late 16th, early 17th century said, when you are sick, suffering, afraid, offer all of your pains and weakness to our dear Lord and ask Him to unite them to the sufferings that He bore for you. Come to Him 
and ask Him to unite your sufferings to the sufferings He bore for you. And in your suffering, find yourself in union by faith with Jesus Christ in His suffering for you. For when He seems far, He is very near. And He is the one who will transform your suffering into eternal glory. Earlier I referred to Jesus' statement, in this world you will have tribulation. But, but that's not all that He said. He went on to say immediately, uh, on the night in which He was betrayed, just prior to the betrayal, Jesus went on to say, Take heart, King James Version, be of good cheer. That's what we've been saying at Covenant EPC in Monroe for the last two years. Be cheerful, not fearful. Jesus Christ has overcome the world. And because He has overcome the world and overcome death and overcome all the powers of darkness and sin, we, through faith in Him, share in His eternal victory. And by His power, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For there is nothing in all creation, not even death itself, which will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In our union with Christ in His death, and His resurrection and ascension into heaven, we may confidently affirm our faith and hope. I have trusted in Your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in Your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. To God be the glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen, and let us pray. Our gracious Father, we thank You for the glorious Gospel of Your Son, Jesus Christ, who came into the world to bear our sin in His own body on the cross, loving us and giving Himself up for us. And we rejoice in His victory over all the enemies of sin, death, darkness, and destruction. That in Him we have life everlasting to the glory and honor of Your name. Amen.